So I will say, in in preparation, I did just finish watching Q Who. Good it's for you. Good good times. <laughs> I tell you what, it was hard being at the office today. It was my first day back, and uh, uh, I didn't watch any Star Trek today. I was, it was hard. Uh, you know, I, I felt the same way. Also because my boss was kind of being a douche, but <laughs> the Star Trek thing helped my, my mood as well. <laughs> How you doing, Tim? Tim? We cannot hear you, Tim. Can the rest of you all hear me? Is it I perhaps myself who cannot be heard? No. <laughs> I can hear you. No, I can hear you now because I'm ah. plugged in different. Boy, Tim's voice has changed. I remember his it voice has. very different. Hmm. No, Tim's getting pizza. Ah, good for Tim. Did y'all just get home? Uh, 45 minutes ago. And while we were up there, someone called him to schedule him for a job interview tomorrow. Oh, yay. Yeah, so he's running around like a chicken with a head cut off. Which reminds me, he made me listen to Night's Range Girl. Were you, I mean, were you listening to, like, issue one or issue two? What was I listening to, Tim? First episode. He, oh. It put me to sleep. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> At least you got usage out of it. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't completely bad. It's not like I told him, Tim, turn this crap off. We told him about the wrestling podcast he listens to. Again. Okay, that's never happening again. So I will let him get back on, but that's, that's all I got to say about that. Have a good day, guys. Here, put it on. Put it on. God. <laughs> I had a nickel. <laughs> I hope you were recording all of that. It's, it's all there. benefit of our listeners out there. I'm Aaron, and I will be your game master this evening, and if uh, the rest of you fellows can introduce yourselves. Uh, this is Tim. I'm, I'm Jake. Yeah. And I'm John. Last week, we last time we uh, got together, we uh, talked about the kind of Star Trek game we wanted to play. And, uh, you know, there, there was kind of a consensus that, you know, we might like something uh, that has a home base to it, you know, like a star base or something, but, you know, also being out there exploring out there on our ship. So um, we talked about having a captain. And John jumped in there and said, I don't want to be captain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just that lazy. That's right. I don't want to be captain. But uh, the remainder, the remaining three, Tim, Jake, and Wayne, uh, are not shying away for the opportunity to sit in the center seat. So they left with some homework. And their homework was to write up a character that might become captain. And then the four of us, or five of us, I should say, will talk about it and uh, decide on which of the three candidates might serve as commanding officer. So let's go with Wayne first. All right. My idea for a captain character is a he's a Beta Z that was raised on Earth. Um, he's very career minded. You know, basically his uh, his whole goal is being captain is only one step on the way to being admiral, and he shamelessly uses his telepathic powers in his methods to. To further his career. Uh, basically a no-nonsense, uh, whatever-it-takes-to-get-ahead kind of guy. When you think about your Betazoid captain, 
Um, what would be some of his like command quirks? What's his style? What uh, you know? What would you recognize the most about him? Uh, everything has to look good on paper. Every report up has to be has to be perfect. He doesn't care how you get things done as long as in the report it looks like it was done exactly per spec. Um, again, everything to him is about furthering that career, so it's all about appearances. And uh, he's not. He's not really a micromanager because, like I said, he he wants to give people the ability to go outside the box and just doctor their reports to him. He's supervising a team, <laughs> commanding a team. You know, he doesn't care how it gets done. How would he, you know, encourage someone? How would he, you know, develop his team? That is a very good question. Um, let's say he definitely prides anything that makes him look good mm-hmm. um, along the same lines he wants like-minded people around him but doesn't you know basically if someone would uh, if someone would take the entire credit for everything their team does he's perfectly cool with that mm-hmm. um, I don't really know how he would develop people okay or how he would in- encourage that kind of thing offhand okay Anything else you want to share with us about your Betazoid captain? No, I think that about covers it. Like I said he uh, he's the kind of guy that uh, he's he's always looks in people's minds to see what they what the right answer would have been. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. He's he's a big tell people what they actually want to hear kind of guy. Now, uh, John, since you don't have a horse in this race. Yes. What questions do you have for Wayne about his captain? Would he put the concerns of a mission behind his concern for his own career if that happened, if that situation came up? In other words, if ordered to do something that uh, might cause him to um, maybe have to take a step back along his track to being admiral, which course would he take? Uh, he would put his career over the, the order. Okay, so Jake, you're up. Tell us about your candidate for captain. Uh, so, uh, strangely enough, also a Betazoid, um, though slightly different tack, the notion here, because you had sent us that uh, the paperwork on the Betazoid being kind of a recent addition to Starfleet relative to a lot of the other um, races, and so the notion is that he's... He's... Um, this was, I'm sorry, I, sh- I should preface this. This was actually a first officer concept, but he works as well for captain, so if, if we don't want to use him as captain, I would put him back in as a first officer. Okay. But the, the idea is that he was an officer on uh, a Betazoid ship, but the reason he was he became an officer and went into space in the first place is because on Z he's actually got um, a social disorder, which is that he lives on a planet full of telepaths, and he's kind of an agoraphobe. Um, he finds the telepathic con- the contact uh, invasive. He's he's a guy who likes his privacy in a world where there is no secrecy. Right. And You're winning points here, Jake. I'm just gonna let you know. You're winning <laughs> points. What can I say? And and so he's he he's kind of turned off by his own abilities. And so first he went into space with his own, you know, with with a, a Betazoid ship. And then when Betas had joined the Federation, he said, you know what, hell with this, I can leave this ship full of freaks who want to get into my own head and go to a ship where nobody has telepathic abilities, or very few people do, 
and where they would actually be uncomfortable if I read their minds too. So we'll all get along happy. Um, so he he'd be kind of a hands-off commanding officer. You know, he he's he's going to be a pragmatist um, and, and sort of a a driven individual, but he's he's not he's not a guy who's in touch with the empathy of the crew necessarily mm-hmm. and that would be something that could be like a, an extended character plotline of him kind of slowly getting over this this kind of pseudo agoraphobic nature where he just you know he's he's fine being in a command position and leading but um close interpersonal rea- interaction would probably kind of unsettle him slightly um and i wanted to kind of get to the point where he he actually he he like wears gloves to make sure because tactile contact can make can can make uh, telepathic contact even easier or accidental and he doesn't want to do that so he's you know he he, he isolates himself even by dress um, from from contact with other people um, are those are they the formal you know opera length uh, gloves well it would be all something the way up to the elbow <laughs> no 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 it'd be something a little shorter more more trendy you know all right. Uh, yeah, but 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 this would be a guy who yeah he he's he he is he has gone to Starfleet specifically to get as far away from his own people as possible, and and would probably be a bit distrusting of other telepaths just because he he finds them invasive. He finds himself invasive, much, much less other telepaths. He totally needs a Beta Z first officer, and uh, you know same kind of question I asked of of, of Wayne. How does he uh, manage his people? How does he motivate them? Uh, I would say this is probably like I said. He started as a as a first officer concept, mm-hmm. and I would assume that even if he was a captain, he would be it would sort of be a recent promotion. So he's a very much lead by example kind of guy. Um, he'll do it first and show you how. Okay. Um, it, you know, and, and, and in some ways that that kind of dovetails with you know his his sort of personal disorders that you know if if he kind of puts himself. In, into the midst of it, he can kind of get out in front of everybody else and not necessarily be amongst the pack if he's leading it. And so, um, what sort of comments did his uh, former commanding officer have about him? Uh, efficient, if, if if a bit distanced. Other than his agoraphobia, any other kind of outward quirks? Um, I didn't have any notions on quirks. I did. I did kind of with with some of my character concepts that I put together uh, did, did the the classic Star Trek thing of defining their bizarre hobbies mm-hmm. and and I figured one of his would actually be uh, uh, falconry yeah that he that, that, that he, he, he didn't so much like the minds of humanoids but the but he could kind of get around the minds of animals without feeling too weird mm-hmm. and, and 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 so birds and hunting he kind of got into does he now that he is um, away from his uh his brethren, so to speak, on Beta Z. Does he? Does he? Would he find it difficult developing, um, you know, a close but non-telepathic relationship with someone, just uh, in the way humans get to know each other? I, I would say he's he's a lot more capable of it now because it's not so much that he's utterly incapable of forming close attachments. It's just that. Mm-hmm. The, the, the baseline of close attachment on Beta Z is so much more intrusive than he is personally comfortable with. It's one of the reasons he probably really likes Starfleet is because, you know, it's predominantly humans and humans really aren't used to that kind of radical honesty, invasive interpersonal relationships that Beta Z are. Beta Zoids are. Yeah. 
has he? Uh, would would you say that there's anyone that he is, uh, you know, pretty close with since leaving his homeworld? Um, I, I I was toying with that idea that he might have like like a a, a significant other that that probably wasn't on the ship, like, mm-hmm. like, like someone who he actually had formed a, a close bond with, but who, you know, he still is kind of out there and away from like he can only take so much of it at a time because his significant other would probably be also betazoid mm-hmm. just just due to you know when he went into starfleet because i'm kind of assuming that he he got he, he sort of bypassed bypassed starfleet academy through like a horse trading program <laughs> do you think that perhaps he'd be more attracted to ferengi women than hmm. uh than than others because he can't <laughs> read their minds <laughs> Only for their brains. <laughs> Only for their brains. Well, and the nudity. You gotta yeah. love the nudity. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be anywhere near that scene. <laughs> <laughs> what's the what? Just picturing your character. What's the hardest decision he's had to make as a captain, pre-game? Like, give me an example of where he had to make he had to make a tough decision. See, I, I would think like command decisions wouldn't be the ones that throw this guy. It would probably be personnel decisions. It would probably be if he was when he was like a first officer. It would probably be assigning department heads, and and, and just figuring out who he can work with. I'm, I'm guessing that would probably be the most the, the thing that he would rack his brain over the most. So interpersonal, yeah, interpersonal stuff is a lot harder than making command decision that y- yeah, I would have to die or whatever. Yeah, I would I would assume okay. for for command decisions, this is this is the kind of guy who that that that's easier because that's once he gets focused, he can shut everything else out. You know, the interpersonal stuff. There's there's a lot more of a minefield for him to navigate. All right, Tim, you're up. Uh, okay, so dude's name is Drake Crockett. He found out he was directly related to both Sir Francis Drake and Davy Crockett. So when he came of age, he changed his name to reflect this. Um, he he always wanted to be an explorer of new frontiers and navigate. The idea of being like his ancestors and you know exploring the you know the last frontier is something that just it gets, it gets him excited. Um, he has degrees in archaeology and psychology, um, and he worked in a future version of the NSA. So does, does that make him a psycho archaeologist? Psychologist. <laughs> Um, uh, so the skills that I had, that, and I did this for everybody, so I'm sorry. The skills that he would bring to the table is archaeology, psychology, code breaking, but not necessarily computer related. Uh, navigation and gambling, because uh, he's you know he's kind of reckless a little bit. Um, his prized possessions, he has star star charts and maps of his own, and they're they're hard copy because he's a little bit. He's not a technophobe, but he's always wonders what happens if, like, you know, you lose the data off the computer. So he's got a little bit of a backup. So, like, I would picture Drake as doing his captain's log through the computer and then also writing it down. Kind of, you know, you know, as an homage to his ancestor. So, um, yeah, I kind of picture him as kind of a, you know, a, a reckless kind of a little bit on the reckless side. Um, if I had to pick somebody that you've seen in TV or movie, he, he would be closer to an archer than anything else. Um, as far as like command decisions and, and how he would motivate people, my guess is he would be very much a speak your speaks his mind kind of thing. So if somebody does a good job, he'll say something. If somebody f's the pooch, he'll say something right in front of everybody. 
but I, I imagine he's gotten to the point where he can scale back somewhat as far as if he knows one person excels when you when you don't compliment them, um, you know, in front of everybody. If it's more of a the ranking is what gets results from somebody, he'll you know make a note and he'll do it that way. But I mean, if he has his druthers, he'll just blurt it out. <laughs> I wonder where he gets that from. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's 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 my captain pitch. Oh, he's human, by the way. Obviously, Davy Crockett could have secretly been like a a Romulan. No, he's not. <laughs> he could he could have been he could have been secretly a Romulan. You just never know. You, I don't know. You might have you know a Tellarite in the woodshed in your lineage. You never know. <laughs> Did you say a Tellarite in the woodshed? Uh-huh, a really? He did. Uh-huh. He wow. totally did. <laughs> wow. Well, it's it's good to know that that, that I've been out nerded for the entire duration of this conversation. You know, I, I can't believe that Tim didn't mention it, but he texted me today and to ask if we were still on for tonight, and so I responded with, <clears throat> "Like the Denovan neural parasite, we are on." <laughs> Wow. I didn't mention it because I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> it was the, those were the pancake omelet like things that flew on uh, you know flew on you and took over your mind. Mm-hmm. Operation Annihilate, original series. God. No. It's like you don't sorry. know anything. Oh yeah. I, we've already established who, who has the, the least street cred in this group. I, I I make no bones and I'm not apologizing. I feel like I need an apology, but okay. Um, okay, I'm sorry so, you need an apology, Aaron. Is that <laughs> <laughs> you know that kind of thing doesn't win any points with my wife when I try. Oh. <laughs> Honey, I'm sorry your feelings are hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that really doesn't get me anywhere. Um, okay, so you got Drake Crockett, who has named himself. You know, if we if you wind up playing this character, I'm going to require that you tell me what his original name was. Sure. Yeah, so, you know, just FYI. Um, he is our psychoarchaeologist. Keeps the paper back up. You've given me a lot of quirky things here about him. Um, what would his uh, former commanding officer have said about him? Um, passionate. Uh, slightly reckless. Um not afraid to encourage or belittle someone um, <laughs> uh, but good at good at you know navigation and like I said very passionate about his job okay John um, would okay would a potential captain Crockett break regulations to get a mission done? If he thought yes. he needed to, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and how far is it? Just the tip of regulations, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. How far would he go? Um, I don't know. I guess it would depend on the stakes. Okay. So, I mean, if we're talking about, so I, I guess an example would be, um, you know. We have like a lost ship or something that we we take aboard, and these people all they want to do is get back to their home and say it's out of you know it's not where we're going. I would I would probably tell them to you know to stick it, and we'd we'd we take these people home, <laughs> you know. Okay. 
So I don't know. He'd probably ride the line right up to the point where he thinks he's going to get court-martialed. Is that fair? That's fair. And I have another one. His okay. um, his um, dislike maybe for technology. How strong is that? Is that a uh, does does it come up a lot? Does he does he chide people for jumping to the computer first when they could have figured something out on their own? Oh no! Is he is he? No, it's more of a personal quirk of his. He doesn't want to okay. like. He wouldn't try to tell other people how to how to make how to do it. It's just that he finds a little bit of peace of mind doing things a different way. So okay. if two of your uh, your department heads came to you with differing plans and one of them was you know a uh, a, a highly technical plan using you know relying on technology and the other one was a more reckless plan that uh, that relied more on you know Batleths. <laughs> Something like that. It does that does that quirk come in there? I mean, will he will he choose a more reckless plan because it doesn't rely on technology? It would it would be a thought in his head, but he'd also weigh like, okay, what's this person's track record versus this person's track record? Like if he's got a a Drake Crockett Jr. telling him to like fly through the asteroid belt like a jackass. And be like, well, we crashed last time we did that, so we're not going to do that. We're going to let Bobby use the computer to navigate a course. So he would he would weigh the people, but I mean, assuming they were equal, it would cross his mind. So I guess I guess it would it would play a slight part, Wayne, but I wouldn't think it would be something where if the plans were you know significantly good versus you know ridiculous. You would go with the good plan. All right. So we have got three commanding officer candidates. We have Wayne's career-minded Betazoid. He's no-nonsense, and he's looking to look good on paper. Um, he, uh, he, it's got to look good on paper, and he doesn't care how it gets done as long as it looks like everything was done to spec. And please jump in and correct me if I'm missing something there, Wayne. Um, nope. That pretty much covers it. Uh, Jake's character, also a Betazoid, has a little bit of a social disorder. He doesn't like his own people. He doesn't like his own people because eh, they continually nose into his business, and he has what we like to characterize as boundaries. He has a, uh, a Betazoid neutral zone, as it were. Um, <laughs> he is... ah, he's a wuss that doesn't know how to take advantage of his natural given talents, which is why Tim will like him better. <laughs> um, he finds that other uh, Betazoids are too invasive, and because he is not invasive, he wears gloves so as not to avoid ca- so as to avoid casual contact and you know uh, becoming privy to someone else's thoughts. Not really an empathetic guy, but he's a hands-off commanding officer who likes to lead by example finds himself a pragmatist and he's got a kind of an I'll do it first kind of uh, mentality that miss anything there Jake no that's good and last but not least is Tim's human Drake Crockett uh, who yeah changed his own name he's a psycho archaeologist um, who likes paper backups he uh, uh, you know Perhaps a little bit of that archaeology leads him to believe that you need something that's tangible that you can leave behind versus the uh, the digital that a good magnet would take care of and wipe away. 
Um, he uh, Tim suggests that he's a, bit, a little bit closer to Archer uh, in terms of the Star Trek captains that we see, that he's passionate, he's reckless. Um, he's kind of a blurted out kind of guy, not afraid to uh, encourage or belittle people to get things done. All right. So of our three, we'll go around the table. Um, John. Okay. Um, well, you, you want me to just go with who yes. I like best for captain? Yeah. Well, they're, they're all three were were pretty good. I really liked them all. Um, but I, being an, an original series guy and a uh, exploration adventure guy, I'd have to say Captain Crockett would be would be my favorite. Okay. I see him being the uh, the most um, um, the most Kirk like of the uh, of the group. You know, a guy who's willing to uh, maybe jump in, not necessarily go by the rules, and get the job done. So uh, I I throw my uh, throw my hat in the Captain Crockett circle. Wayne. You know, it's awkward when you've got one in there trying to uh, to pick, but yeah. I like my jackass character, so <laughs> <laughs> I think I will vote for uh, for him. Right. <laughs> Jake, uh, <laughs> I uh, I think it'd be interesting with 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 the jackass character. Although I I I, I think I'm probably veering a bit more towards a uh, Crockett as well, if not if nothing else for the name. <laughs> Does that mean you're casting your vote for uh, Captain Crockett? Uh, I, yeah, I, I will. I will cast for Crockett. <laughs> and Tim. I I like I like Jake's character a lot. He's everything that Andrew isn't in Knights of Ransboro, and that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have got one for Wayne, one for Jake, and two for Tim. I will cast a vote. And uh, I have concerns about Wayne's character in a leadership position. I mean, I, I think that it is uh, reminds me a little bit, at least initially, of a uh, suddenly drawing a, a blank on his name. The captain that Ronnie Cox played in Next Generation. Oh, yeah. Uh, I cannot yeah. the, the, the the character's name, yeah, but yeah, yeah. but you know it was the, in the it was in the episode where he became uh, captain of the uh, of the Enterprise for two episodes. Um, you know, just a real you know get it done was his thing, as opposed to make it so. Um, but you know, Wayne describes uh, uh, his Betazoid character as you know career before anything else, and I. I'm not sure. I think that could be fun to play in a first officer. I think it's a little challenging in a, in a commander when you've got people who are having to, uh, you know, get behind the orders and whatnot. So I just have a, I have some concerns about that. You know, I would love the dynamic of having that character as a first officer for Jake's character. <laughs> the the two differences of having both of them on the ship, as well as being stuck with a uh, someone. Trying to avoid your own race and then being stuck with your own race who's the exact opposite of you, mm-hmm. reporting to you and trying to take your job. <laughs> Aaron, can I can I can I say something real quick? You you can, absolutely. Okay. Um like I I don't like I've got three other characters that I really love. Uh-huh. 
I would love to be able to pitch those and somebody be like, you know, I like your captain, but I like your engineer guy better. Okay. And I'm okay do you want, with do you, do you XYZ. Want to, do you want to come back and address captains later then? I don't know. I don't want to change. I don't want to change midstream, but uh-huh. that's. I, I want to be able to pitch everything and then be like. He, he doesn't want to commit now. Yeah. <laughs> this is exact. Yes, and you know exactly how this goes, Aaron. I do. I do know yeah. exactly how this goes. Well, if you'd like, we can we can revisit the captain's discussion after we present the other the other characters. The only reason I was thinking of doing the captains first is that it might help decide complement the mix on like XO, etc. But we can do all that at the end if that's what you guys would prefer. I like waiting till the end too because that way yeah. everyone gets to pitch their other ideas too. Okay. So that whoever gets captain doesn't you know isn't left out of the rest of the conversation. That and that makes that's sense. True. Okay. All right then. So we'll come back to that. And let's start with John, since he's not gotten to say anything. And let's hey, what's go up with, with that, John? Yeah, John. I, I'm shy. <laughs> so give us your first character pitch. Okay. Um, this is the character that I kind of sort of created my own alien race for. And really the, the reason that I did that was because I needed a – I wanted a guy from a particular culture, and I didn't really see one that fit. So um, – you know, there's nothing extraordinary. They don't have any sort of odd powers or strange things like that. They're pretty much like humans. But this race that I wanted to do is I named Ravosi from a planet called Ravos. And what they are is they're pretty much a human-looking um, alien, except they uh, they have some some skin modeling around their neck that kind of goes down and covers their torso. But other than that, they they appear to be pretty much human. But this particular character, um, his the big concept of him is I kind of put it in one sentence and I sort of did this with everybody is a prince trying to forget his past. So he's from this planet, Ravos, and it's a, it's a culture that is at a technological level that is close to, um, early 21st century earth, except they're very, um, they're very feudal in, in nature. They have ruling families that rule the planet. And, at the time that this character, Revan Carr is his name, was uh, was growing up, um, the planet was being was being groomed for a future entry into the Federation, um, and Revan Carr was a was a prince. He was an heir to the to the ruling house House Carr that that ruled the planet. Now the the different houses on this planet battled each other forever. I mean they were in a perpetual state of war until House Carr came to power and sort of sort everything sort of mellowed out. They they got everybody to agree to some to some things and there's an uneasy peace and the federation said, you know, if you guys can keep going on like this, we can see bringing you in. So there was a federation presence there that was talking to the uh to this ruling family of which Revan was was a part. Um but of course, it was an uneasy piece, and the longtime enemies of the cars were the Strakens. House Strakken always had sought to bring House Car down, and unfortunately, they they hatched a plot that blew up, and the the planet um, erupted into a into a full scale war. Uh, House Car was decimated, um, and the Federation you know, stepped back 
they're like, we're not going to get you know involved in this conflict on the planet. You know, it's like we're going to come back later when you guys have sorted this out. Unfortunately, as House Carr was being completely destroyed, and and Revan, the the young prince, of course, was was sought you know very highly by the by his enemies, the Strakens. They wanted him dead. As the Federation was leaving, there was a captain, Captain Harrison Blake, who was like, you know, I can't leave this kid here to be completely uh, murdered by these ruthless uh, barbarians. So he kind of ducked regulations and grabbed the kid and transported him up to the ship. So Revan leaves his planet at the age of 13. His family's decimated. Um, and at that point, he pretty much leaves that leaves that life behind. Um, Captain Blake, who took him, sort of became um, almost like a foster uncle. He, he brought Revan back to Earth <laughs> and left him with his, his brother. So he grew up on Earth. Um, and as he grew up, he aspired to, to one day try to get into, um, into Starfleet Academy. Because uh, the Federation had rescued him, and um, he almost thought like, you know, he owed him a debt that he wanted to pay back. So, uh, grew up on Earth, um, did his best to study really hard. Uh, grew up in British Columbia. Uh, he uh, he assimilated very well to Earth uh, culture, and he kind of. You know, you know, he kind of put his put his past behind him. I mean, he's never really forgotten it, but it's it's still there. Um, so he gets uh, he gets into Starfleet Academy, which I think is where we were wanting to kind of cut off the backstory. Yes, sir. Is that what we said? Yeah. Okay. So he uh, he his personality after all this, he grew up in a on a world where you know courtly skills were highly prized. So he he's mannerly and he's courteous and he's modest. Um, he's generally honest but he doesn't want anyone to really know about his past he really wants to fit in and doesn't want to be treated you know like anything special he spent the first 13 years of his life being being a nobleman and he really just doesn't want to do that any, anymore um he's calm and collected uh, even in very stressful situations he of course learned um a wide variety of combat skills in his youth because dueling was an accepted way to settle things back on Ravos. So he always, he always kind of kept that sort of thing up. He's very excellent at tactics as well. Um, he hopes one day to maybe eventually command his own starship. That's his, that's his long-term goal. And he hopes that beyond that, somehow he can rise high enough in the Federation so that he can exert some influence on his home planet and maybe uh, find a way to bring back House Car back to what uh, back to what they once were, but that's a really really long term goal. Um, he's got some things that give him trouble. One is that he's he's afraid someone's going to find out about his past and make a big deal about it and say, oh, you only got in the Federation because you knew Captain Blake, who's now Admiral Blake, and he really wants to avoid that. Um, doesn't want to doesn't want anyone accusing him of getting special favors. And another thing, which could be a subplot thrown in, is that House Strachan, his old enemy, they're still looking for him. They know he escaped, so they're out there someplace trying to find him. And that's it. 
So you had mentioned that uh, his homeworld, uh, Ravos, was you know about 21st century technology. So do they have are, are they warp capable? Well, they were they were on the verge of developing of making some huge leaps, but it was probably going to be 30, 40 years down the road. So so not yet. No. Okay. Came to Earth when he was 13. You know, yes. entered the academy. You know, 17, 18, somewhere in there. Typical Star Trek age. Right? Yes. Okay. Um, girlfriend? Um, sure, why not? Yeah, that that would make sense. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, I like that. Um, and I asked, yeah, j- just so, you know, has he made connections? Does he, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's, he made connections. He was growing up in British Columbia. He got, you know, got there... You know, middle school age, so he would have had his secondary education, so he would have had lots of friends, that sort of thing. And um, yeah, maybe he does have a girlfriend. Maybe she's, uh, maybe he meets her at the academy, and they, you know, develop a relationship, and they kind of go their separate ways, maybe, but they still try to maintain it, maybe. He grew up in British Columbia. How does he pronounce his O's? (laughs) (laughs) Probably differently than I can. than I can try to attempt, but I suppose, yeah, he may have the uh, Canuck accent. <laughs> Let's get out of here. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, you guys, questions for uh, John? I don't think I have any because that was so thought out. <laughs> it was very thorough, yeah. 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 yeah I, I think he's putting the rest of us to shame. <laughs> no, no, I got this. Well, <laughs> John, I, I do have a quick question. Yeah, is it kind of a conflict of interest for him to try to forget his past, and yet, in the is one of his long term goals is to like wipe out the assholes that took care of his family, basically, or at least restore his family. You know, that's a valid point. But but the way I see it is, is he he wants to do this at, at some point, but he. It's almost like he needs to build up his prestige, and he needs to he needs to do it on his own. He doesn't want anyone, you know, he doesn't want it to come out because he doesn't want these special favors. He doesn't want to be accused of having special treatment. He feels like if he eventually gets high enough in the in the Starfleet uh, ranks that he can sort of bring this stuff out, and everybody knows that he got there on his own. It's um, so He'd maybe rather return as the captain than the prince, essentially. So yeah. maybe instead of forgetting his past, it's more like doesn't want to use his past. Yeah, that's probably better. That's. that's I'm, ju- I'm just I'm just trying to establish because it seemed kind of contrary. So okay, yeah. I got it. I, I understand yeah. now. He wants to get to that chapter in his life and then put that back in the forefront, but he doesn't want to worry about it right. now because he's got to get to there. I got right. it. Right. Okay. That's, that's that's my only question. Well, next up, let's go with Jake. Okay, let's see. Um, okay, so this was... Th- remember, you remember when I asked you about uh, Elorians? Yes, sir. <laughs> okay, this was the one that, that originally had that tacked on, but as you'll see, that's not really essential okay. to the character. And for, um, for, for those who might not remember what an Elorian is... <laughs> uh, they should be ashamed for not knowing that, Tim. It, 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 that would be a Guinan's character or a, a, what's his what's his name? Malcolm McDowell from Generations. Yeah, Soren. Yes. Mm-hmm. Extremely long-lived humanoids. Um, but um, 
the idea that uh, this guy's name is Newton Coleman. He is, in the, in the tradition, not so much in the original series, but in every series afterwards, there was somebody on the crew who was actually not part of the Starfleet hierarchy, mm-hmm. who was nonetheless somehow always ended up on the bridge. Um, and the idea for this guy, since we had talked about um, the ship possibly having some experimental stuff and being on the frontier and that sort of thing, um, he is an inventor um, slash engineer. Um, the reason he's mainly on the ship is to help invent new parts of the ship or keep the, the experimental stuff running or perhaps is the um, origin of the experimental stuff they're trying out. Um, and, and sort of through that, he's, he's kind of using his knowledge as a way to book passage. And he's just kind of a vagabond. He's sort of the inverse of my last character. He's extroverted and uh, wants to go new places and meet new people and, you know, experience new things. is very... Um, outgoing but that's one of the reasons also he's not in the starfleet hierarchy is because being outside of it allows him a lot more personal freedoms and so occasionally this would be the kind of guy who could be tempted to leave the ship if if the right circumstances came about um but sort of chooses to stay out of either you know loyalty to the captain or or personal ties with the crew or whatever um and the only reason I had originally had the Elorian thing tacked onto this was just because that way you'd have an extended history to mine from that that would be perhaps a little further and, and older than, than, you know, where, where, where you could just pull stuff out and say, eh, he forgot about that. <laughs> and, it would, and, it would, and it could... <laughs> it, was strictly, it was strictly a, here, storyteller, have something, <laughs> sure. have something to screw me with later. That was, that was really that, the whole purpose of that. Now, when you... Uh, when you uh think about the Elorian aspect to his character, are you seeing him as having that curious insight that Guinan had? Yes. Yeah, th- 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 and, and that is also where that came from, is, is having that that, um, that kind of gregarious uh, um, but but very, yeah, curious and, and, and uh, yeah, that va- the vagabond nature, just, just wanting to know new stuff. And, and yet and you know he he could adopt those kind of characteristics that I found so infuriating about Guinan was that uh, you know in yesterday's Enterprise she tells Captain Picard that you know uh, Tasha Yar is not supposed to be alive mm-hmm. you know that she's supposed to die and it's that communication with both Captain Picard and Tasha Yar that encourages captain picard to allow tasha yar to return with the enterprise c back to the past and then in the follow-up episode to that reunification not yep. reunification it was uh it was uh, it? oh no reunification uh, was the other one yeah, yeah it was redemption yeah. i think redemption yeah and uh uh yeah she tells captain picard well that romulan uh sub commander that you see there is in fact the daughter of ta- daughter of Tasha Yar. Tasha Yar was back. Went back into the past on the Enterprise C, and it's your fault that yeah, she yeah. went there. And it's totally your <laughs> fault. Yeah. <laughs> when in fact it's hers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so you know. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't. I don't think he would have that 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 inconsistency of a <laughs> of intent. <laughs> well, I see, and I don't think that that was that was the inconsistency. I think it was the the uh, coyote trickster nature that is Guinan. So I don't think she's got everybody's best interests at heart. I think she's actually a bad guy. I can That's see what I think. I think she's playing a long con. Well, she, well, she's the only one that Q feels threatened by. So That's right. So Now, would your Elarian do the little, you know, pinky crossing hex thing that uh, Guinan does? 
She only does that in one episode. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but it's when the Universal Super Being shows up. Well, if you want to have a Universal Super Being show up, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any other items that you wanted to share about your LR? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, this was something else. Is, is I, I, I wanted uh, the character to have... Um, and this this was part of, part, partly ill-defined and intentionally so. There was going to be have have been some action in the past. They'd been through some heavy stuff and were missing an arm. And so everything below, like the elbow on, say, the left arm, was uh, bionic and was actually, in, in addition to a hand, was also like a, a a tool belt of sorts. Like there were all these tools just kind of kept in that the forearm. Mm-hmm. And it was just stuff to to work on things and so on and so forth. And it wasn't like, you know, a super hand that could crush skulls. It w- wasn't anything like that. It was just a hand that had, you know, tools in it. Um, but just as, as kind of an allusion to this, this where the Vagabond past, you know, had, had you know, at some point in time bitten this character before. Um, where the, the Wayfair, you know, attitudes had, had gotten a little too cavalier and and he'd stepped into to something he probably shouldn't have. Okay. And possibly literally got bitten. Yeah. But something very, very large. Exactly how old are you thinking that this character would be? Uh, not not like not like the guy in thousands of years. That would seem silly. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking your standard Vulcan range of like a hundred or two. That you know, okay. at, at the upper end. Not certainly not. You know, I've been kicking around since the 1800s. No, 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 no. That that would be dumb. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, Tim. Okay, well, since Jake tossed out his engineering character, I'm going to toss mine out right out there, too. Uh, his name is Renzel Kim. Uh, he's a Ferengi, which wasn't on the list, but Eric can bite my ass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Renzel, and this is making an assumption that we have a we have a base, generally speaking. Renzel Kim owns a pawn shop, runs with his twin brother, Fredel Kim. So it's Ren and Fret. Uh, he plays drums, so he's constantly beating on something because it's kind of a nervous reaction. Uh, his band's called the Earwigs. Hmm. Um, his, his skills he brings to the table are appraisal, performance, and engineering. Um, he runs an illegal gambling ring with Fret. Um, I kind of assume that the captain probably kind of knows about it because it's kind of hard to hide that kind of stuff, but doesn't care enough to shut it down. <laughs> um, some of the possessions he likes uh, he's got a solid platinum like neck chain that he, he values and Betty Lou which is a refurbished uh, uh, laser that he has reformatted to work as a glove so think like Spider-Man's web shooter that's how he would blast somebody with a phaser does it have voice commands? no it doesn't have voice commands because that's stupid <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Ren's the kind of guy who disabled the fire alarm in the engineering deck so that he could have cigars. <laughs> um, I don't know exactly why you would have this guy in Starfleet. It's, um, it's either something along the lines of he lost the bet with the captain, so he's got to work on the on the ship. Uh, and he, maybe he pulled some strings to make make sure that Ren's an engineer because that makes up for all the negative traits. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of what I got. 
He's the diversity hire. That's how he got in Starfleet. (laughs) He said, we got to meet quotas. (laughs) You don't have enough of those big-eared bastards. I love the name of the band, by the way. (laughs) The Earwigs. I I picture them in these big, stupid, like, 17th century, like, wigs that they used to wear for, like, the First Continental Congress and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That is just wrong. Okay, okay, Aaron, even if this character doesn't get picked, it has to appear. I'm just saying. (laughs) We have to go to the pawn shop. Yeah. (laughs) I might have watched a little Pawn Stars before coming up with Ren. <laughs> Excuse me. I also kind of picture him of like sal- personally salvaging stuff <laughs> to bring to the punch. <laughs> he said they got on an away mission, and yeah, nothing. No, nothing is clearly broken. <laughs> yeah, he just considers it bonus pay that they don't know that they're giving. Him. <laughs> he's got a hidden compartment in the cargo hold that he's always filling up with stuff. I imagine this because I'm when I'm when we get the ships, I'm gonna pick the big damn ship. But I I picture that he has a whole fake room. <laughs> it's like you know, it's like hidden behind the, the maps. Th- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where everybody goes to like play poker, but nobody acknowledges it exists because it's wrong. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> great. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so, any questions for Tim about Renzel Kim? I have more of a comment than a question. He, he <laughs> seems he seems a little less like like an engineer and, and a little more like Klinger from uh, from Mash. <laughs> you know, like, I got like, kind of like the I same almost, thought. I almost I almost envision this as like is sort of like the, the that that ensign that's always around. The uh, the yeoman. <laughs> yeah, the yeoman. Yeah, he's always getting into stuff. <laughs> like, I, I don't know why, but that just that seems to. Uh, it was just a random comment. I don't know. The, the, the image of a uh, cigar-chomping Ferengi lurking around engineering tickles me. Well, he could still... Well, if he's an ensign, he could still be an engineering. It, it <laughs> just, it, it's, it's hard to believe this guy would be in charge of engineering. Yes, yeah, yes, it I is. Like the, I like the character. <laughs> I just... I have a hard time thinking of a Ferengi as an engineer. I gotta have him. Well, what about Nog? Uh, not Nog. Uh, uh, Rom? Yeah, Rom. He was an engineer. Yeah, but he didn't act very Frangy. This character True. sounds like a Frangy. True. So, Wayne, what do you have for us? All right. First up, I've got a, I've got a Trill. He's had three lifetimes. This is his third lifetime. Well, third, third host. The first host was a musician. Uh, the second host was a politician. And in this host. Basically, his people told him that he had to, he had to go and apply to Starfleet. In this time frame, the uh, the Trills wouldn't be part of the Federation yet, so they're ba- they're sending him to, you know, find out what basically find out more about this the Federation. And in these these early days are the days when the the Trill wouldn't have basically they're trying to keep hidden that they're a symbiotic race. Right. So he's got a lot of quirks, like he doesn't want to be. You know, doesn't want to be transported, doesn't like going to the, you know, to see the medical officers, things like that, as he's trying to uh, trying to avoid too many people knowing that he is a, that he's a symbiote. But that his that's his primary goal is exploration, discovery, and figuring out what the deal with the Federation is. So, uh, you know, 
there's all kinds of examinations that have to occur when you enter Starfleet. How has he managed through those, and does anybody know? People do know. The uh, the higher-ups in Starfleet actually know as well. The uh, Basically, the, the Trills have... They have contacted Starfleet, and we'll just say some uh, some strings have been pulled here and there. So the higher ups in Starfleet definitely know that there is. They know the deal with the trills, but it's not something that's general knowledge at this point. Right. The ship's doctor would have to know at this point, but because of you know doctor patient confidentiality, he hasn't wouldn't have told anyone, or she wouldn't have told anyone. Right. So it's so- not. I mean, it's something he keeps to himself. He doesn't. You know doesn't share but it's not like it's a top secret thing that nobody knows because right. they they had to know when he went through examinations initially and they had to know you know he had to explain where he came from as well so we know that the that the trill have have kept this secret for a good long time and you know it wasn't until uh the next generation era that they shared this secret um from your perspective what's the reason to keep the secret they don't know how the Federation will – well, they don't know how generally the other races will take the idea of a symbiote, the idea that somebody is turning over their body to merge with this other creature. They're basically afraid of judgment. They also see all these other races have developed on different paths. They don't have as you know a high of – they don't have as high of a focus on you know, the arts and things like that. So they're kind of – basically, they're worried. In uh, one of the DS9 episodes, they talked about how uh, not – it was a secret in Trill society that uh, – you know, the, the, the myth that they had put forward was that very few Trill are compatible with the symbiont. Right. And so, you know, but the reality was is that everybody was – you know, compatible with the symbiont, but there and the even enough. other even other races besides trills are compatible, actually. Right, and so uh, you know, the fear was that the symbionts would become a commodity to be traded, right? Uh, in, in trill society, is that an element of the fear that if they share that they're a joint species with the greater public, that you know someone might decide that they need to you know, capture these symbionts and sell these symbionts? I would say that's part of the society's concern. But again, it's not something that everyone knows. It's a perpetuated myth. I don't even know if my character would know that because he's only had three hosts at this point. He's still early in the cycle. He doesn't know all the secrets, basically. Anything else, Wayne? Nope. Any, Any questions for Wayne about his trill? So if your doctor is a hologram and he blurts out Wayne's a bleeding trill and he claims it's a computer malfunction, does doctor-patient confidentiality go out the window? It's a violation of his, uh, you know, uh, HIPAA-protected private health information. It's a good thing that the emergency holographic medical program wasn't invented until uh, around the Voyager time. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just throwing a hypothesis out. This could lead to some awesome, like, field medic scenes, though. The, yeah. The, the guy who doesn't know. <laughs> well, and one cool thing that could happen during the course of the campaign, one of the reasons I like the idea of a trill always have in a Star Trek game is I could die and get to keep doing the same character. 
it's that's a possibility that could happen at some point. I, w- I was actually thinking about trail characters the other day. Let me throw this out at you and see what you think about it, Wayne. You know, you say that uh, you know he's the third host. Uh, first host was was a musician. Second host was a politician. And usually, there's all this uh, you know preparation uh, before you become before you go into the the candidacy to become a host, right? Um, and we saw in Deep Space Nine where uh, Jadzia Dax, you know. Uh, passed away unexpectedly and then there was trauma to the symbiont and they had to uh you know transfer the the symbiont to somebody who was not an initiate somebody who was not prepared uh, somebody who didn't even want it exactly we've also seen in uh trill society that it is inappropriate for the trill the the joined trill to have contact with previous uh uh, the the families the the descendants of of, of previous uh, uh, hosts right yep what would you think about your politician becomes sick unexpectedly and the symbiont has to be transferred to his son which is your your Starfleet character that would be very interesting very there would be a lot to play with there. So, you know, everything like you said, except that instead of, you know, running forward with, uh, uh, you know, a, a completely separate person, it's his son and, you know, that's taboo. But, hey, what are you going to do? Just something to think about. Yeah, I like that. That gives a lot of other possibilities. And we are back to John for round two. Oh, I'm sorry. Does anybody else have any questions for Wayne or comments about what we were talking about? Anyone? I like the politician two son idea. That's that's a nifty twist. All right, so uh, John, back to you. My next character is a farmer. No. <laughs> yes. Or used no. to be. <laughs> that can't be. Do you John, know how to play John. a farmer? I don't even care what else he says. <laughs> no, no, really. Listen. <laughs> I don't think you can play a farmer, but okay, let's see what you got. He used to be a farmer. Okay. He well, is... Reformed farmer. Yeah, a reformed farmer. His name is Benjamin Tasker. He is a... His concept is basically a man from a backwater world with a brilliant uh, technical mind and an unorthodox approach. Um, he's from a place called Bender's World. Um, it's a colony. It's a backwater um, it subsists on agriculture and raw organics processing. He's from a, a settlement called Blue Station. Um, he's always been a, kind of a diamond in, a, in the rough. He's uh, he was really brilliant at technical matters when he was growing up, and he was known, you know, all over Blue Station for his ability to uh, to fix all this big ag equipment. And he, he was always reading all these uh, maintenance manuals, and he couldn't get enough enough technical uh, contact. He, he, he craved it. Um, when he wasn't doing that, though, he was finding ways to get into trouble. He, uh, uh, he was always up to mischief, always into it with the local law enforcement, um, never committed any serious uh, crimes, uh, usually just a, a bout of drunken, disorderly behavior, that sort of thing. Um, but the community kind of overlooked that a little bit because he was the guy who was always keeping the machinery running at top efficiency. Um, 
Bender's world was a place that was often attacked by rogue bands of Klingons uh, looking for plunder. Um, that sounds that, that happened. sound honorable. That doesn't sound like something a, a, a noble Klingon warrior would do. Well, I kind of got it from <laughs> from Enterprise. If you remember that one episode, you remember the uh, the uh, those Klingon bandits basically that kept showing up at that. Yeah. Uh, I kind of took it from that. It doesn't have to be Klingons. It could be any aggressive alien race. It so, just sounds like a stereotype to me. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Okay, well, they're getting raided by pirates. Let me put it that way. <laughs> um, anyway, these these attacks kept happening over and over, and the, and the folks here kept you know begging, send us a ship out here. We're getting attacked all the time, and and uh, we can't make our quotas and and that sort of thing. And um, they they didn't get much help, um, so the town decided to kind of take it upon themselves to get ready for the next attack, and Ben played a huge part in that. He built some incredibly uh, effective uh, booby traps and some some pieced together weapons, and they were ready for the next attack. The next attack came. They they fought the bandits off, um, and it just so happened that a Federation destroyer shows up. I called it the USS Thermopylae. Doesn't have to be, but that's what I put in there. Um, and they they came in on the tail end of the fight and helped them out and. Some of the crew was pretty impressed by all of these these weapon systems that had been cobbled together out of agricultural machinery, and that was kind of the impetus for Ben to decide, hey, maybe I should see if I could get into Starfleet, uh, get to play with the uh, the big toys, maybe. So that's what he did. Um, applied to Starfleet Academy eventually and got in. He is a uh, he's a friendly guy, a bit naive. He's got a um, He's got a sense of wonder about all of the things that he's encountering while being in Starfleet. He can be kind of unfocused um, at times, but when he's solving a technical issue, he can actually forget to eat and sleep. Uh, um, he's just so zoned in. He's kind of short and wiry. He's got dark, curly hair. Uh, always has kind of a pleasant expression on his face. Uh, technical whiz. He is an excellent singer and guitar player. Um, Ooh, he could be in the his band love, with uh, he, with Renzel. He Kim. could be. He could be an earwig. Uh, his love of a good time is always getting him into trouble, um, and he has problems following protocols when he thinks that he knows a better way to make some sort of technical thing happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically his goal is to just just get his hands on as much equipment. That he can. The newest thing coming out, he always wants to learn about it. He wants to, uh, he's really interested in this idea of exploring and finding alien technology and figuring out how that, uh, how that all works. So that's what kind of drives him on in this exploratory venture. Cool. There it Quest- is. Questions for John? I'll, I'll tell you right now, John, don't blame me if I vote for the guy who's a farmer. This isn't a stereotype. <laughs> I just have this picture of him, and if if I you know if if, if I get to play Drake, that that would be a fun combination on a ship. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, 
Um, okay, so my next one is Matthias Sondheimer. He's a human tactical or con officer. I haven't quite decided which. Um, but Matthias is, he's career Starfleet. Um, his whole family is Starfleet. It's, it's a family tradition. They've been in it for, you know, since, since the early days. Um, and he's kind of moved up the ranks himself. His mother is an admiral and has kind of high expectations for him, which he doesn't quite always perform to, but it's not one of those overbearing kind of things. It's more of like, oh, honey, you could do so much better. Um, and he just hasn't quite gotten there yet. Um, just because he's, he's, he's a little younger, and he's, he's just kind of... It's a little unfocused right now. Sure. Um, but the thing that has occurred in his life, which is kind of a catalyzing event for him, and, and, and I want it to be kind of a recent one, is that he's been approached by... Um, members of a section 31 mm-hmm. and because his family is so career starfleet and because even though he's a little unfocused he does share the family trait of being uh rabidly loyal to sort of the starfleet ideal um he's being kind of scouted very slowly by them uh as, as a possible inclusion into uh their group and um, for those who are not familiar with Section course, 31... Se- Section 31 is, is... I apologize. Is the... Um, uh, it, it's kind of like... Not Starfleet Black Ops. They're, they're, sort of, they're sort of a rogue division within Starfleet. Yeah. And and they they believe in upholding, uh, I guess, Starfleet superiority, um, even at the cost of the Prime Directive. They want to make sure that, that the Federation sticks around longer than everybody else, basically. Um, but they, <laughs> so, so, so they've been, they've been scouting him and kind of maybe very delicately prodding him. They may not have said, Hey, we're section 31. This is who we are. It may have been more subtle in, in, in ways where he knows that there are powers moving to guide him, right. that he's a little uncomfortable with the direction they're going, but he may not be fully aware of exactly where that's leading. Sure. Um, and that's and that's kind of started to weigh on him and, and made him concerned. But because it's coming from such weird places within the Starfleet command structure, he's not sure who to talk about it with. And, you know, maybe he's mentioned it to his mom and she's been sort of dismissive of the whole idea. Well, no, no, no. I, you know, you're, you're just seeing phantoms. That's not really the case. <laughs> and and th- then, of course, the, the, the question ultimately would become whether or not she knows about it or not. Um and whether or not she's in on the, the recruitment, and just just how how just how loyal is his family line, sure. um, that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, and that's that's kind of his. He's he's like I said, a little young, a little unfocused, but very dedicated, very forthright. Um, probably a little a little honest to a fault, um, and, and very much one of those. Um, one of those bridge crew that that's that that tries to hold the unit together, um, tries to kind of float amongst the other bridge officers and make sure he's 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 sort of ingratiated to everyone in, in a general way and helpful. Uh, um. Okay. So uh, the next character is uh, Bridget McNamara. Bridget. So yep. So she's from the so her family was the first family with a Klingon degree. Um, but she 4F'd out of Starfleet Academy. She's, she's a little on the big side. So anyways, 
They later accepted her because her scores in alien technology, alien languages, was the highest for a new recruit that they've seen since Starfleet Academy uh, started. Um, so this character is one where um, he know, knows how to use the system. So, for instance, the uniforms, not a big fan of them. So instead, so she's got a doctor's note for a Letterman jacket. So she can wear this big oversized Letterman Starfleet jacket. Um, she convinced somebody that um, she has depression. So to combat depression, she's got a doctor's note that lets her have this uh, Arthur, who's a wiener dog. Um, <laughs> so uh, skills would be translation, computer use, and I put psychology down. Um, that's something she knows a little bit about. Um, because of the way she uses the system, I kind of get the impression that she's probably not real well liked. <laughs> uh, Prize possessions: a framed picture of herself with her da- with her dad at Starfleet graduation. Um, and yeah, she'd be a pretty big liability on an away mission. Why? Why would she be a liability on an away mission? Well, <clears throat> just you know, she would complain it's too hot or you know whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's hot. It's a desert world. It's hot. Yeah. So I, I kind of, yeah. That's what I got. With Arthur the Wiener Dog. Yes, Arthur the Wiener Dog. <laughs> Any questions for Tim and his <laughs> big girl? <laughs> <laughs> what would she be like on the ship itself? You mentioned she's, uh, you know, she's always she'll use the rules to her own advantage. What's she like socially? Does she avoid the rest of the crew? Is she above them? Or is she, you know, does she want to make friends? I, w- I picture that she does, but she's so used to being, like, disdained that that probably wouldn't work real well. I have this, it, it, like, I when I came up with this character, I'm like, what would happen if a Trekkie from now got into Starfleet because they weaseled the system? <laughs> And then I'm like, do we really, do we really want to so have like this is like his a... cheap shot at the rest of us. No, it's more like a, uh, more like a fanboy, you know, the, the movie, but whatever, you know what I, I that's kind of what I was thinking. And so I picture that the, the character would be kind of, uh, reclusive because she, I don't know, she just, you know, be used to being, uh, scorned. Because of the way that she uses the system and, you know, stuff like that. But I would imagine that, you know, she wouldn't be, uh, you know, against making friends. See, and I I see a whole storyline where a couple of the, uh, you know, senior officers, you know, make a bet that they can get into bed with Bridget before the other. But, you know, in the process, they fall in love with Bridget and find her inner beauty. Okay. I've got sure her pretty in this character. Sure. <laughs> I'm picturing if Star Trek was on Lifetime. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I and it that kind of talks to the you know because this is definitely my humor character and I don't know I don't want anybody's like experience to be ruined by the fact that I'm playing a humor character so I'm totally okay with people being like no that's too. Saturday Night Live skit Star Trek. So wait, wait. This is the humor character, not the earwig character. <laughs> <laughs> he's got, he's got quirks, but I mean, he's 
He's he's you know the same level that you would get on any other Star Trek thing. Sure. Well, like, do you think like, that it's like Odo like yeah. levels of humor? Do you think that the the character would would change at all if she did find herself suddenly on this team and developing some actual friends? Would that, not, would that affect her reclusive nature at all? Um, do you think or not? I don't think fundamentally it would change that much. I mean, maybe a little. Like maybe I'm just picturing outgoing. You know, kind but, of a cool story arc where she started out that way, and that's how she is, and then kind of like, you know, reluctantly having to be like, yeah, it's kind of okay to have some friends, and maybe you know, maybe it's a good thing. That could be kind of cool. Yeah, but, I don't, I'm not sure. Okay. I, My next character is from a trader family. It was uh, it's a family that's had a ship for generations, and they've just been re-outfitting and trying to get this ship up and running. Basically, keep this ship up and running, and uh, keep it upgraded so it doesn't get outclassed by everyone else. Uh, small ship. They basically go from one planet, buy something, take it to another planet, and try to sell it. This is the my character is the youngest, you know, the youngest son. So the ship was not going to be his anyway. And he decided that he's just this isn't the life for him. He's tired of being stuck with his family in a small ship going around, you know, system by system to system. So he decides he's going to enroll in Starfleet. When he makes this decision, his family decides that, okay, we this is our tradition. This is what we do. So they shun him. And he's basically been uh, disowned from the family because he's not going into the family business. And he's Because he wants to do something more for himself. Yeah, I have this picture of Rusty Griswold from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> he just, he's tired of being in the, in the station wagon from, from planet to planet with, with Clark. That's the... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good you know, way to put it, actually. You know, I want to get out of the Winnebago, Dad. <laughs> so some of the personality quirks I see with him, though, is uh, he came from a small ship. He came from a ship that did things very differently than Starfleet. You know, he'll go through Starfleet and he'll learn how Starfleet does things. But he's used to, you know, you just you just do it. You do everything. The idea of everything being so compartmentalized will bother him. You know, he wants... He knows how to do this. He should just be able to do it, but it's not his department. So he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades kind of guy? Yes, but, again, it's a ship that's been falling apart, and they've been piecing together over the years. Mm -hmm. So he thinks he's a jack-of-all-trades, and he does know a little bit about a lot of things, but it's not modern technology. It's not this ship. So when when his family shunned him, did he – when he decided to leave, was he like – you know, the family's going to shun me, but I'm doing it anyway? Or was he, like, shocked that I can't believe you're making me, you know, I can't believe you're taking this tack with this whole decision? Which which way was he? He, he was, he wasn't completely shocked. It didn't, it wasn't like he didn't think it was a possibility, but he was very hurt by it, and he didn't, mm-hmm. he didn't completely expect it. He thought that they would support him no matter what, because they're his family. So he was kind of caught off guard by it, and he's very disappointed. And he particularly misses his brothers and sisters. I was just going to say, so does he, is is somewhere in, in his mind, do you think that he's maybe trying to, you know, replace his lost family with a, with a Starfleet family now? 
I could easily see that. I mean, he's he's used to a very social ship, so that's what he wants out of this ship as well. All right, and we are starting our last round of characters with John. Okay, my next character is a rancher. No, just just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, my next character is Savar. Savar Vulcan. Um, what I have in mind for Savar is that he is a he is extremely dedicated to his field, which is medicine. But he finds that some of his you know well a lot of his Vulcan teachings bring him into conflict with performing that job to the fullest. Um, his background is, is that he had a, had a pretty normal uh, uh, childhood on Vulcan. He began learning all the disciplines and, and the, uh, the self-control from early on, like, like most of the like Vulcans do. He was, he was always fascinated by living things. Um, he, he wanted to know how things, how things grew and, and what caused them to die and that sort of thing. And he, I picture him, you know, as a youngster um, going out on a on a hike through the wilderness, cataloging flora and fauna that he found. Um, and this preoccupied him through most of his youth. His mother and father, Selak and Tapor, were very, very prominent physicists, and they they indulged Savar's um, uh, hobby, I guess, his his interest in biology. Until the time, it it came around that it was the time came around that he was to begin his formal training in whatever discipline he he was going to choose, and of course, Salak and Tapor decided it it had to be physics. Uh, physics was the family trade, and Savar, of course, would be a physicist just like they were. Savar had other ideas. He wanted to be um, a biologist and a medical doctor. Um, the family basically told him that we we are not going to support your admission into the Vulcan Academy of Sciences unless it's physics. They really put their foot down. Savar bridled at that and looked at it logically and decided, if I'm going to become a doctor, a biologist, I have to leave. I can't stay here because it's not going to happen for me here. So he he thought the best place I can try to go is Starfleet. Uh, it was going to be hard though without any support to try to do this on his own. Um, he basically said goodbye to his family and he left Vulcan. He hopped a freighter and left. He spent years bouncing around on different ships, beginning with menial jobs and slowly working his medical skills that he developed. Um, over the years into jobs where he was a ship's medic and, and uh, you know, just, just did whatever he could that was along that line of work until he finally studied enough that he knew that he could pass the entrance exam to Starfleet. So he hopped more ships, eventually got to Earth and uh, San Francisco and took the exams and got into Starfleet and got his medical training that he was, that he was looking for. Um, he is stoic, of course, like most Vulcans. Um, he has trouble, you know, understanding emotional beings and is often, um, you know, unaware of the subtleties of the communication going on around him. Pretty stereotypical Vulcan. Uh, 
he's excellent at the life and medical sciences, and he is extremely dedicated to being a medical doctor. Um, he also has learned this kind of underside of the galaxy, the more seamy side, from being on all these these freighters that he was on. So he's you know he's kind of got some knowledge about how the underworld works or whatever, however that might play in. And as a as an oddball Star Trek skill, he's an excellent basketball player. Yeah. <laughs> Pick that up along the way somewhere. Um, he the big problem and what would be really cool, I think, to play with Savar is this. He as a doctor, he understands that there is a is a component when you're treating emotional beings that they heal better and faster when their emotions during their time of illness is responded to by a physician who can empathize. Of course, being a Vulcan, this is extremely hard for him to do. So he struggles with this. He, he, he knows that to be, to be 100% effective, he has to find a way to try to empathize with emotional patients that he's trying to heal, and it's extremely difficult. Um, so he's kind of choosing, you know, do I do I forego a little of my Vulcan philosophy to try to become a little more in touch with the emotional side and let it out? I mean, if that's the price to be the best physician he can be, he may choose to do that. Um, he also has not communicated with his family for many, many, many years. And it, that kind of, um, um, gnaws at him. He's unsure what to do to alleviate that anxiety, uh, but it's always there. So, so that's my character. So you know, you, you, you talk about this emotional medicine. You know, um, ha, is the data pointing him towards, you know, because you know he knows that Vulcans have emotions, but they they just rein them in. Is the data pointing him mm-hmm. to the fact that that emotional medicine might also benefit a Vulcan? You know, I hadn't even yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. Is he having to question, you know, uh, the teachings of Sarek and? And you know, yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point. It may it may lead him to believe that, um, yeah, that his entire race maybe is is uh, is hurting themselves somewhat by, you know, adopting such a staunch philosophy. And if he has data to support that, then that would be very you know very convincing for a Vulcan. Uh, my question is, if there were another Vulcan on the ship, would he treat him any differently medically-wise than he would a, a human? The uh, the idea of getting more into the emotional medicine, would he hide that from other Vulcans? You know, the before Aaron said what he said, I would say maybe yes. But if, he is, if he's got this idea in his head that his his race could benefit from being a little more open about these things, he might – uh, potentially try to convince another Vulcan crew member of this. Okay. Uh, this next character is a, uh, a Benzite here for, for Tim. I'll, I'll send you the link. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I queued that up. Essentially, they're, they're, they're fish-faced aliens. Um, uh, he's, he's a security chief. Name is Vodak. And he grew up on uh, kind of a border world colony. Um, it was a mixed colony, so it wasn't all Benzites. It was uh, kind of one of those frontier worlds where a bunch of different races landed there and all kind of claimed different different areas, but due to the harshness of the world, they kind of all ended up in one large sort of mega-colony. 
Um, but due to sort of lack of supplies and, and, and things like that, the colony very quickly, even, even with all of them working together, fell into disrepair. And as he was growing up, the colony was sinking further and further into crime and, and poverty and, and uh, to a large degree, uh, racism, because it, it, it came along these species lines of, you know, everybody started blaming everyone else for why the colony was failing. Um, and the Benzite community kept shrinking because they kept leaving. And his family was one of the last ones left on the colony. And at some sort of uh, pre-teen age, he and uh, a brother of his were assaulted by a gang of uh, humans. And brutalized to the point where his brother was killed, died in in the hospital later. And he was, you know, laid out and, and in the hospital himself for several months. And when he kind of came out of it, he, he sort of vowed that he was going to get the hell away from this world, but but sort of dedicate his life to protecting people from then on. And kind of, it, it became not as much about protecting people as, as about protecting himself. But eventually he goes into Starfleet and joins the security force and, and kind of uh, becomes indoctrinated to the Starfleet way of life. Um, partially the draw for this character for me was just kind of the idea of, because the Benzites have this little rebreather things on their faces. Yeah. I love the idea of a security chief who's essentially asthmatic. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> just because I think it's funny. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he's a guy who he's, he's had some pretty severe traumas in his, in his past. And even though Benzites are typically more kind of meek kind of characters, he, he has, he has that as his general demeanor, but sort of, there's an undercurrent of it where, he has this more brutal past that that kind of haunts him still, right. um, and still affects the way he'll deal with certain situations. So, for instance, if he sees uh, children or the obviously helpless being being victimized in some way, he tends to get really um, aggressive about it. Okay. Yeah. So he's and got then he that. has to take and he has to take his inhaler. Yes. The, yes. <laughs> take a deep deep puff off the inhaler. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Any questions for Jake? These aren't exactly what you'd call ladies' men, these Benzites. I'm just going to throw that out. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Hit your mother with that face. I don't know. <laughs> no, they were thrown out of the ugly tree. Yes. <laughs> Clocked every branch on the way down. <laughs> so, Tim? Uh, okay, so last character is... Cha- uh, because Jake and I seem to be on the same wavelength. I'm going to throw out my security officer. Uh, Chance Trifall, uh, human. Uh, Chance, Chance was a slave fighter who was given special acceptance in Starfleet. Um, the story behind that is there was a captain that was captured, and uh, Chance led a rebellion at the tender age of 15. Um, so it's kind of a question of the captain felt obligated, but there's always this question of whether Chance was doing it to save the captain or not. Um, uh Chance as a black belt in karate and jujitsu, also as a federated boxing champion, uh, which I don't know if that's a real thing, but it is now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Chance was assigned as a security officer despite some concerns regarding uh, the, the psych evaluation. So Chance has trust issues, which sort of battle, uh, you know, Chance's need for acceptance. Uh, it, the way I see it is that, uh, you know, Chance was uh, a slave fighter who didn't, who didn't, you know, 
didn't have any real parentage, so you know, Chance would always be looking for a parent. But you know, the fact that it was you know getting beaten in the slave pits doesn't really help mm-hmm. uh, with trust. Um, slightly afraid, uh, the the, the Psychoval, you know, you know, Chance has said that is afraid of uh, how much that uh, she enjoys the fight. So is it is it under is it an understandable reaction to be you know well within the fighting realm or is it kind of a bloodlust thing? The other the other thing I put in there was that uh, Chance likes to likes to cook, so it's kind of one of those things where she, you know she doesn't feel like the replicators are worth a damn, and I don't I don't know my Star Trek enough to know if this generation would have that yet. Replicators. So yeah, to make the food and stuff. Yeah, they, the replicators, but not in uh, the the we can replicate anything under the sun type of technology that they had in Next Generation. Okay, well, so. uh, uh, it's very much a character who believes that that's a bunch of crap and uh-huh. that actual ingredients are ten times better, even if that's not true. So, you know, uh, she, you know, she'd volunteer to cook. Like be like the chef, but she's all, but also a security officer. So sure. it's kind of two different worlds. Um, so it kind of has a couple different uses. Okay. Anything else, Tim? Uh no. That's okay. it. Any questions for Tim? Hearing none. Wayne, you're batting cleanup today. All right. My last character is. Uh, it's a Delton. Uh, Hot, sexy Delton. <laughs> yep, it was. Uh, Tim said something about uh, one of the other characters not being a ladies' man. Uh, this character definitely is, but the Deltons had to swear an oath of celibacy when they joined Starfleet. You know, one of them does. This guy's not exactly on the wagon. He uh, <laughs> he keeps himself in control when he's on the ship because you know it's he doesn't want any uh, repercussions exactly. But when he's on uh, shore leave or away, he, yeah, he definitely uh, isn't isn't exactly on the wagon with his uh, oath of celibacy there. Hmm. Um, when he says celibacy, you can hear the air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took my oath of celibacy. <laughs> it's one of the things he uses his uh, pheromone ability to basically to flirt and tease on the ship constantly, but he never. He he keeps himself in control not to cross the line because he is afraid of repercussions. But again, when he's off the ship, you know, especially if we have uh, if we do have a base of operations like a star base, we frequently go to anyone that's not in Starfleet to him is fair game. What would what would this character do besides screw people? <laughs> Recreation <laughs> officer, ship counselor, obviously. <laughs> Pretty much, he could be in any. I didn't have any kind of position in mind for him. He could be, you know, he could do anything on the ship. Uh, like I say, he would be a a very flirty character with the female officers. I'm sorry, did you just yeah. say that you weren't really thinking of any particular position for your Delton officer? <laughs> <laughs> he was thinking of all of them. He could do t- t- anything. all comers. Oh yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Star Trek sex think, humor, good stuff. <laughs> I would think by the nature of his abilities, he'd probably be sent on a lot of uh, away missions that. You know, that involve diplomacy and things like that. 
It's a lot of sex on the away <laughs> missions that he goes on. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, this is not a screw thy neighbor kind of uh, thing. Uh-huh. Well, and with those pheromones, that's kind of like mind control, isn't it? Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. This guy's a prime directive violation waiting to happen. It's going to go. Oh, yeah, he totally is. <laughs> okay. Well. That's a lot of characters. Yes, it is. And yeah. so, first off, since we don't have a captain uh, to decide on for John's character, we're going to uh, resolve John's situation first. <laughs> You're Great. a problem, John. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told that for years. <laughs> now, uh, with the exception of the of the captaincy, I don't want to think about. I don't want to think too hard about. Uh, Roles in terms of you know which department you're in, you know that kind of thing. I just want to talk about the characters that we like the best, you know. So it, when, we're, when we're talking about these, you know, think about the one that really pops, and then you know if we select something and it doesn't fit in the role, we can go back and address that. But right now, I just want to I just want to talk about you know of the characters that were presented by a given player, which of those characters we thought popped the most. So for John's, he he gave us three. He gave us Raven Carr, uh, a refugee from the planet Ravos, a prince trying to forget his past, or uh, uh, I, I forgot how you said it, Tim. Uh, doesn't want to use his past. Yeah, doesn't want to use his past, but looking to restore uh, his, uh, his house, rescued by a uh, uh, Federation captain. And, you know, uh, his goal is to one day be a captain himself to influence uh, uh, House Carr back on his homeworld of Rebos. Uh, and then we also have Ben Tasker, who is strangely enough a farmer. Um, brilliant mind, but an- unorthodox practices. He's a diamond in the rough. Uh, friendly, naive, yet ultimately unfocused when he's really into something. Um, guitar player and into the new shiny. Uh, loves a good time. And then last but not least is Savar of Vulcan, uh, a physician, basketball player, uh, who is exploring the realms of emotional medicine and uh, may have some surprises about what that research yields. So of those three... Tim, which is your favorite? Oh wow, wow! I like all of these guys, but if I was forced to pick just one, I would have to pick Savar. I think it's a very un-Vulcan thing to do to flip your parents the bird and go to Starfleet Academy, and I think that plays into his. I have a problem with emotions, and I'm like, I don't think he does. I think he's in touch. I think it's awesome. So if I had to pick, I would pick Savar. Okay, Jake. Uh, I, I, I like the Prince character, but, but I gotta say, Savar is a more interesting concept, like, like for, for a play, play-wise. Particularly if I end up playing my Betazoid character. Okay. I, I think that would be an interesting one to play off of. Okay. And Wayne? You know, I liked the Farmer until I heard the, uh, I heard Savar, and I, I have to say, I, I'd go with Savar, too. Awesome. Like, you guys I really, picked my favorite. <laughs> I really like Fantasker, I do, but... Then you, I already wrote Tim's vote down, and then you said that other guy. I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> so, John, uh, were you being uh-huh. sarcastic, or is this actually your favorite? 
No, no, no. I was I. The, that is the order that I that I created the characters in, and by the time I got to Savar, I was like, oh yeah, this guy is, this guy's good. The the whole the whole, uh, you know, ha- being devoted to his field and having to deal with emotions and finding out they may be the key to him being the best doctor he can be. I thought, yeah, I want to play that. Okay, spell Savar for me. S A V A R. Correct. All right. Well, it sounds like we've got our chief medical officer. Everybody in agreement? Yep. yep. He's the Band-Aid. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yay. So, Jake, we have four characters of yours to go through. Now, what I don't want you guys to think about is don't think, ooh, you know, uh, we've got three captains out there. Still pick your favorite, even though they're, that, you, that you, you may want one of those three captains' choices Pick your favorite of the, of the uh, characters that are presented. Well, okay, and, and, and and keep in mind for mine that, that my captain pitch was originally a first officer pitch, so I'm just as happy playing him not sure. in a captain's role. Sure. And also, you know, again, don't think about roles too hard. You know, some of them are kind of hard not to, like the you know Elorian engineer. But uh, you know, just which which pitch is your favorite, and then we can come back and address it if we need to. So for Jake, we have four characters. We have the Betazoid with a social disorder. He's agoraphobic. Uh, doesn't like being around his own people. Doesn't like being around his own people. Um, not not what you'd call an, empa- an empathetic kind of guy. Kind of a hands-off leader. Leads by example. You know, shows you how to do it first. Uh, that kind of thing. And likes falcons. And likes falcons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, falconry. Um, and then you have his Alorian vagabond um, who possesses that the curious insight of an Alorian. He's an inventor, engineer, not part of the Starfleet hierarchy. He's outgoing. He uh, um, is on board because he's you know loyal to uh, the commander, whoever that might be. And he's got a, a wicked bionic arm. And then there's Matthias Sondheim who is career Starfleet, his mom's, uh, his family's career Starfleet. His mom's an admiral. He has been approached by the uh, mysterious Section 31. And, you know, there are some questions like there. Does mom know about this? Um, he's naive, uh, uh, but, you know, sees himself as holding the unit together, uh, perhaps a little Pollyannish. Um, and then last but not least is Jake's fishhead Benzite guy, Vodak, Security chief and a protector kind of guy. Did I miss anything on any of those, Jake? Nope. Okay. So, John, uh, of those four, I like I like Sondheim. Um, I I like this whole plot line of this this organization out there. Um, I think it would be really fun to see what develops with that. Um. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that uh, a game master would love to play with, I would imagine. And the the whole idea of the admiral and the family, um, I'd just be interested to see what happens whenever uh, that particular NPC maybe comes into conflict with us and our mission, and what that has to do with Son- what that makes Sondheim do. Um, so yeah, that's the one that really popped for me. Okay, Tim, uh, his Betazoid self-hating falconry lover, <laughs> hands hands down rubber stamped hard. 
<laughs> Approved. Okay. And Wayne. The Section 31 character. I love the idea of the Section 31 trying to approach one of the characters. So, Jake, of those two, which is your preference? Um, I like both of them. I like the Betazoid one a little more. Okay, we're going to come back to that. Okay, so for Tim's character, we have four. We have uh, Drake Crockett, uh, who... Changed his own name. He's a psychoarchaeologist. Um, likes to provide hard copy backups. It's b- both a hobby, a fetish, and perhaps a compulsion. Um, he is, you know, closer, clo- more closely matched to Archer than the other Star Trek captains we've seen. He's passionate. He's reckless. Um, he is. I have no idea what I wrote here. Um, <laughs> Oh, he's t- he tends to blurt it out, not afraid to encourage or belittle to motivate his team. Then there's Renzel Kim, the uh, F- Ferengi cigar-chomping engineer who plays drums, uh, is a member of the band The Earwigs. His brother is Fret, and together they co-own a pawn shop. And... I have no idea. Oh, uh, he's usually collecting, uh, you know items while on away missions and whatnot. And he just considers those bonus pay. Then we've got oh, Bridget McNamara, uh, who's a big girl um, who has worked the system to get her way into Starfleet. Um, she has a wiener dog named Arthur. Not particularly friendly uh, because people haven't been particularly friendly to her. And then last but not least for Tim, we've got Chance Trifle, uh, who... In addition to being a boxer, and uh, uh, he's also a cook, or is it Chance a female? Female. Female, okay. So she is uh, both a boxer and a cook. Um, she, uh, oh gosh, boys, this is what happens. Uh, actual, boy, I cannot read that at all. What did I write here, Tim? Uh, you probably put something about Trust issues, battling yes. acceptance, kind of a little sketchy psych eval. Okay. Okay, so of those four, and uh, did you have anything you wanted to add about any of those, Tim? No. Of those four, who'd you like? Uh, John. I love the idea of Captain Crockett until you came up with the Ferengi. Um, that character just sounds awesome. Um I would love to see how that would work, you know, not only being on the ship, but what happens back at the starbase when the other the other aspects kick in with the the band and the uh, the pawn shop. So yeah, I'm for the Ferengi. Okay. Um, Tim. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jake. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jake. Uh. I, I'll, I'll go with the Ferengi with a chance coming in a second. But uh, Ferengi, definitely, that one sounds hysterical and awesome. Yeah. And Wayne. All right, I guess I'm going to be the different vote. I loved Bridget. Bridget. That character just sounds very interesting to me. And Tim, of these two characters, what's your preference? Don't you get a vote? I do. Then, you've, then give me a vote. Uh... Of, the, of those two, I prefer Renzel Kim. Yeah, that's kind of the dude I kind of... 
I really like. I really like. So okay. I think that's what I'm gonna go with. So you're cool with Renzel Kim. Yep. Okay. I'm making notes. The pawn shop, I think, is hysterical. Okay. So we did Tim. I think I want to call it Broken Dreams. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to work on that. Okay. Maybe I can get better. So of Wayne's characters, we have his candidate for captain, the Betazoid, career-minded, no-nonsense guy who's uh, you know, all about making it look good on paper and putting career first even before his crew. Um, you have got uh, his third-generation host, Trill, um, whose you know, first uh, host was a musician, second a politician, and then third is that politician's son, now in Starfleet, um, who's there to kind of check out what Starfleet's all about, and you know, is it okay to to come out as a society to to uh, Starfleet and the Federation? Um, you have um, the youngest son of a trader family shunned from his family uh, because he chose the way of the Starfleet. He is a jack-of-all-trades, and um, he's perhaps looking for a replacement family in his starship crew that he uh, lost, you know, in his current starship crew because he lost his family when they shunned him from uh, the traitors. And then you've got Wayne's very sexy, hot Delton, uh, who is celibate. <laughs> Ish. Yeah, it's a little bit ish. <laughs> um, so, John, of uh, Wayne's characters, um, the trill, um, that one pops out. I think uh, it w- it's really cool playing the uh, playing that race with the multiple lives, especially the whole politician and the son aspect. The uh, idea of it not being a well known race yet is kind of cool and. On uh, the selfish side, if I'm playing the medical officer, it's going to kind of be cool to be able to play some stuff with me, you know, probably knowing about that condition. So, the trill. The trill. Absolutely. Yeah. Sweep it. Wayne's a bleeding trill. (laughs) (laughs) Wayne, I better leap into action. Wayne, how do you feel about that? It was one of my two favorite characters out of the whole batch. The other favorite character was the the traitor one. So I am cool with it. I have always wanted to do a trill in a Star Trek game, particularly because I want to play with the, the past lives. Well, and you're going to need to write those up for me, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so what we have selected so far is Savar the Vulcan, Renzel Kim the Ferengi, and... Uh, Wayne's currently unnamed. You know, Wayne, you are picking three names you have to come up with, and you have trouble with the one. That's, that's <laughs> hey, I did it just right last time. <laughs> Wayne the Trill. Okay. So, um... That is amusing. How is it that I have such a hard time with names that every character I do in one of your games, I end up picking three names for? Now, what is up with that? <laughs> so, we, we have Chief Medical Officer assigned... Um, sounds like we've got Chief Engineer assigned for Renzel Kim. Um, I'm going to rip it from somebody. That's what I'm going to do. And we don't necessarily have a role assigned to Wayne the Trill. So let's talk about Jake, who is unresolved. Uh, we have we have a tie here for Jake, his uh, betazoid agoraphobe potential captain. 
And then Matthias Sondheim, who he uh, pictured for Helmsman. Um, so they're tied two to two. I haven't cast a vote. Jake, I sense that your Betazoid is your favorite character. He, he was the one I came up with first, and he and he 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 dominated my thoughts longer than than most of the others. So yeah. Okay, so he is your off, favorite. Offhand, offhand, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. Is there? There are some things I really like about Matthias. Mm-hmm. You Which, know, what are what are the things you like about him? I like his, your your I, I like the two hooks you've already given me about Matthias that you know his career family mom's an admiral and then the section thirty one piece. Um, the section thirty one piece can can if that one can can actually be rehooked into the other because section thirty one would would equally want a telepath. Just as a, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm pondering. Mm-hmm. What do you boys think about that? My vote goes to whoever had the Section 31, because that's what I liked about that character. So if the uh, the Beta Z has it, that's where my vote goes. Listen, my vote's not going to change from the guy that Jake says. He's a telepath, but he hates telepaths. <laughs> and he won't use his telepathic power. I was done listening. I'm like, this is the dude. Okay. So we'll, oh. we'll, are you cool moving the Section 31 bit to the Beta Zoid? Sure. Absolutely. So, so I think we have our... Uh, Captain is going to be our Betazoid guy. That's his name, too. Betazoid guy. Captain oh, no, I guy. Do have a name. I'm sorry, I have a name for him. What's Why his name? Not, uh, hang on. Uh, he is Olin Lavker. Olin Lavker. Now, your, your character, Wayne, sounded like he was going to be young, like perhaps an ensignish, but do you want to give him a little bit more time in Starfleet so that he can serve as the XO? Uh, I'm cool with any position on the ship that I don't have a, a preference Hey-o. on that. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I thought the character out up to his time joining Starfleet, but okay. yeah, I'm fine with making him a little bit older. Okay. If you if you need an XO. XO. So here's our crew. Savar of Vulcan, the chief medical officer. Renzel Kim of Ferenganar, the chief engineer. Wayne of Trill. <laughs> as as uh, first officer and... Olin, whatever the hell, Olin Lark, uh, as uh, uh, ship's captain. That's your crew, guys. Yep. And the uh, the trill will be more like the the trills as portrayed in Deep Space Nine than the yeah. the first appearance. Sure. I they're just more fleshed out and yeah, absolutely. And they've got spots, so you know you got to like the spots. <laughs> and you can teleport them. That's right. Without damaging yeah. the. That's right. So. Uh, the next time around, we're going to decide on ship, be thinking about ship's name. We're going to decide on... Uh, Not another name to pick. <laughs> oh, man, I, I, I already got one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll decide on ship's name. We'll uh, discuss some stuff about system and uh, uh, probably do a few more things about uh, story hooks, the kind of game that we want to play now that we've got the, the, the band together. Uh, one thing I want you guys to be thinking about: Do we want to start with is the crew already established, or are new folks coming on, or do we want to do a mixture? Like maybe you know the XO and the captain have been together, but maybe this is a new engineer or a new medical officer. So be thinking about that. Be thinking about where you want to start the story. Did nope. did, did we decide like we're 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 doing sort of the frontier, and then there's like the base that we come back to? Correct. Is it okay? Correct. 
Yeah, you'll have a, you'll have a little touch point, you know, fall back to the base, fix the ship after you you know get it all hammered up, and you know, head loot. back out and try it again. Yeah, sell so loot. Mad loot. Yeah. <laughs> you know what could be really interesting at some point during the game? I uh, I don't think they've ever dealt with a full Betazoid, you know, reading a trill. Mm-hmm. Does it read one mind? Does it read two minds? Does it? How is it different? Yeah. Because the the only time we really saw one together was Troy, and she doesn't have, you know, she's not a full Betazoid. Right. Okay, Jake, Wayne is trying to lure you into doing evil and dark things. <laughs> well, no, he, he'll have to lure me into it in game, though. Because he'll be like, hey, I want you to read my mind. I'll be like, I don't even touch you, you weird, wormy ass. A <laughs> 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 GN theme music graciously provided by some dead guy. Star Trek is copyright CBS Studios. Ideology of Madness, Actual Play, and Star Trek Aegean are productions of ideologyofmadness.com. No Klingons were genetically altered in the production of this podcast.